Hi, this is Steve Boyle, CEO of Epic Immersive in San Francisco, and you're listening to No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. Hey gang, welcome to episode 106 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, director Lauren Ludwig of Capital W. Those are the folks behind Red Flags and Hamlet Mobile. She's here to talk. Well, we're we're it's going to be one of those episodes. We, we talk about everything, uh, as, as Lauren and I are wont to do. Um, we get a little philosophical. We, we, get, we definitely get into the heart of the beast, and we, we talk about red flags. We do our best to like not spoil anything, although if you're one of those people who just wants to know absolutely nothing, then, you know, um, there'll be parts where you want to close your ears, as it were, but um, it's you know, it's not about the story on that one. So I wouldn't worry too much there. But before we get into all of that and all the other goodies we have for you today, we have a little business. And that would be to say hello to our sponsors. And our sponsors are our friends who back us on Patreon. Starting, of course, as always, with our superstar backer, Ross Sigworth, who is our sustaining supporter. Thank you, Ross, for being uh, the show's single biggest backer. Uh, if you want to join Ross in the sun, as it were, you want to visit patreon.com slash Joining the cause this time out are Jerome Barber, Aaron Dean, and Elaine, who didn't leave her last name, which is fine. You can do that. Also, if you don't leave your last name, I don't butcher it on the air. So look at that. It's a bonus. Uh, Patreon.com slash NoPersinium. We had our best month at the Patreon uh, this past month. We have cleared the $300 marker, which we wanted to. So thank you all so much for that. That is pretty darn incredible. Uh, and as we move forward, our next big goal, of course, is shock. Actually, a bit of shock. Uh, it's $450 a month. And the idea is that we're going to have an audio upgrade uh, because we're uh, we're going to look at uh, doing a few things uh, that are going to kind of be fun with the sound here on the show. Uh, I just want to keep on making this this show and the newsletters and no for sitting on the website better for you all the time. All right, that's enough of the ad. Um, if you want to know what's going on in the news this week, drop by No Persinium. That's NoPersinium.com. And uh, check out Everything Immersive this week, which is named after our Facebook group, Everything Immersive, which you can find at EverythingImmersive.com. And uh, it's going to be another uh, amazing story-packed link fest uh, which, which uh, as of this point, I, I haven't actually assembled. So if you're listening to this early enough in the day, um, you're going to go like, where's, where's this week's edition? And if you're listening to it later in the day, you're like, what, why is Noah talking like it's not there? Uh, time travel people. I've mastered time travel. I just got back from 2024 and I'm not going back there. So this is our last year. No, anyway, uh, I don't know where these things come from. They just, they just pop into my head. Um, the other day I popped into someone's uh, house. I was about to say apartment and I would have been wrong because Simon lives in a house. Uh, Simon Rust Lamb 
uh, is a, well, he's going to tell you who he is in a second. So I'm going to hold off on that. But for a couple of months now, I've been wanting to get Simon on the show for a new segment. And this is us kicking off that segment in the most backwards way possible. Simon has a lot, a lot of experience as a producer, as someone who's worked the deals and worked the practicalities of doing both small and large scale projects. And I invited him on to be um, someone to answer your questions. Yes, your questions about how this stuff works. Um, what are some of the issues you might face, problems that you're having, or things you're anticipating? So we've stockpiled a few questions, but we also are inviting you to write in with your questions. And for right now, you can write me, Noah, at noforsinium.com. And we're going to check in with Simon on a semi-regular basis. Um, could be ep- every episode. Uh, we might you know, move where in the show this segment goes. But I wanted to kick it off. Uh, for you this time out uh, with with a with a nice juicy one. So uh, let's get into the segment. Here we go. Hi, I'm Simon Russ Lamb. I'm something of a live events locksmith. And what I mean by that is for the majority of my career, I've spent all my efforts unlocking access to unusual places to do things that they weren't designed for. So just because this is our first time out, Simon, what exactly does that mean? Because it sounds really cool. Uh, For for five years, I was the COO and general counsel of one of the largest music festival production companies in the United States and produced events at NASCAR tracks and football stadium parking lots and warehouses and everything in between. And I've also been something of a... A lawyer to creative entrepreneurs, lawyer and business advisor, and helping young creatives figure out how to turn their work into a business and figure out how to make more money. Sounds good. And that's why we've got you on to answer some reader questions. Let's just dive right in. This week's question comes to us from Daron Kipper in Los Angeles, California. What platform provides the best results when it comes to spending time slash money promoting a pop-up event to an audience that has no existing relationship to the organizer or artist? So you're, you're an unknown entity and you want to get an audience. What do you do, Hotshot? What do you do? You start doing stuff. That's really that's really the 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 easy and short answer, um, and you know, the true one. And true, I you know I I heard uh, a young woman interviewed. I actually was on a panel earlier today, and and this fifteen year old young lady had taped. Uh, she she shot and videotaped um, a music a video for a, a Bon Iver song and. That's how she got discovered. She put it up on YouTube and she put it on her Facebook page and then someone found her. And, you know, I think that whatever it is you want to do, the way to get an audience is do it, Um, you know, and it's so easy to promote those things on social media and, and start building an audience. But ultimately, the platform is is a tool that might help you, but fans are one over one at a time um and really you know i I come from the rave scene and the punk scene it's about going out and handing out flyers you know do you believe in what you're doing do the people around you believe in what you're doing 
are you prepared to go and help people find it? There are all kinds of platforms for that claim that they can help you find an audience. Um, lots of ticketing companies make that claim. Um, there are platforms like Groupon and Gold Star, and I'm sure there's a million others that all have audiences of people who are looking for new things or a discount on things. Um, you know, but something I learned about Gold Star just recently, um, you know, and they you have two options to do a deal with them for tickets. Um, they basically will promote your event. And if you're on Eventbrite, they have a connection to, to go through that platform. But basically, they sell tickets through their network. Those ticket sales are separate. They're connected but separate from your ticket sales as the event producer. And they take a 10% commission um, from your price. But they also charge a fee to, the, to their users. So if you're not prepared to offer a discount ticket to Gold Star, then those people are actually going to end up paying more for the same ticket. Um, the other thing is that they don't give you the email addresses of the people who purchase tickets through them. And I think the key piece of data, and you know, it's really not data, it's it's your relationship to the person who's coming and supporting your event. Yeah. I mean, without these people you don't exist. Your production does not exist. So, you know, to me, I think it's it's winning people over one at a time. And yes, digital platforms can be super helpful to getting things out there, but going through and looking at Facebook advertising, um, sometimes you get some result, but sometimes you don't. Going back to this idea of just going out and doing it, does that is it is it better to you know throw a big event, or or since fans are run over one at a time, is there is there something to keeping it small and 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 building from the ground up? And maybe you have this big idea you want to do, but you start off by by doing something that's you know doesn't take a lot of resources and start the fan base that way. I think ultimately it's about how what kind of resources you have available and what kind of financial risk you're willing to take um, with those resources. Um, look, I think anytime you're perfecting an idea and and if you're a startup, you know, what's proof of concept? How can you demonstrate that your idea is going to work? Um, and if you do small things and you can sell them out, then maybe you can get somebody to invest and help you do bigger things uh, because you already proved you can do cool stuff. Um, and I think that that's ultimately you want to be an expert at what you're doing. And if you do it well, then people will help you. And there's all kinds of articles out there and theories about how many fans you need to tip into this place, whether you're using Patreon or something else where it's sustainable. Um, but what's really amazing is that when you put something out there and people start showing up and then they start helping you in ways that you never thought possible. Um, and I think that that's ultimately the most valuable promotion that you can have. So I think whether that's 
in your backyard with 10 people or at Griffith Park at night in the woods for two people, it's you're just creating a story and you're creating a legend about why what you're doing is so cool. And then you start building this reputation. And sure, social media is great for telling that story, but you really want to win people over. And I think when it comes to platforms that help you broadcast, start the podcast, start your Facebook page, start your Instagram, whatever, you know, you can spend all day trying to promote across platforms. But I think ultimately it's like, what's true to your brand? What's true to the story you're trying to tell? And what might be good for one thing might not work for another. Um, And I think that it's really, it's really case specific. Uh, I would look at, would look at, you know, does somebody control an audience that you're trying to reach? Um, I'm involved in the LA podcast festival and we advertise on podcasts. We advertise on the podcasts who are participating in the festival because the podcasters are speaking directly to the audience that is most likely to come to the festival. It's pretty simple. I've tried advertising on other platforms and it wasn't as successful. So in that instance, the most direct way to get my favorite murder fans to come to the podcast festival is by advertising on my favorite murder, right? It's kind of a no brainer. Um, So I think you look around and go, who has the audience that I want? And can you speak to them directly? And if you can't, can you speak to them indirectly? Mm. Um, You know, the, the way that it worked in the rave scene was, if you had a party in two months or six months, you would go to all the raves where the DJs that you had that were playing in every other rave and you'd flyer the crowd coming out of the show. And you know that those people like raves, <laughs> right? Like they're there and then you're hitting them. And if you hit them a couple of times and you have different flyers and they have different graphics and a different story, you know, you could win people over. And if you get one person to come, maybe they're bringing their friends. Um, so that's, you know, I think it's not necessarily a straight, straight answer to the question because I don't think that there's a prescription for a best platform. I think it's, you experiment with each show and figure out what's best. And as you grow your audience, you know, you see where the the best way to communicate with them is, where are people engaged? Once again, want to thank Simon for us (laughs) agreeing to do this crazy thing. Again, if you want to have your question answered on the air, write me, noah at noprisinium.com. Simon and I have uh, future meetings planned, and we can always jump on the VOIP and knock out a question here or there. Now, that's wrapped up. Let's move on to the big interview for the week. If you're a long-term listener of the show, you you know Lauren's voice. Uh, she's been around before. Um, she is the uh, writer and director part of the Capital W team. Um, and the Capital W, I mean, they just make such consistently good work. And they experiment with the form. Every show's been different. Uh, every show has had a different aim, a different goal. And it's just... It's just 
thrilling to see them work. Red Flags, which is their latest piece, which is extended in Los Angeles right now. And, and just at, when I was talking to Lauren, I had just come off a run at uh, the San Diego Fringe, a short run, because San Diego Fringe is not as long as the Hollywood Fringe. It had won, uh, it shared our Critics Circle Award at the Hollywood Fringe, uh, which it shared with Annie Lesser's Apartment 8. Red Flags is a singularly daring piece of work, and um, it's it's not easy to get access to because uh, it is a one-on-one experience uh, and so really that it comes down to the actor's time determines whether or not people get to see it but my hope is that um, those of you who who really are students of the form and who really want to know where the innovation lies gets a chance get a chance to check this piece out with that in mind uh, get ready for um, you know, practically a prototypical no-pro interview. Here we go. So you just got back from San Diego. Did you go down for, as part of the San Diego routine? I did not get to go down. You did um, not get to go down? No, I had to be out of the country for a very close friend's wedding. Mm. Uh, but Monica, our capital W producer, and Lauren Flans, our main actor in Red Flags, went down to the San Diego Fringe and had a, a really interesting time. It was interesting. Oh, interesting time. Yeah, oh. they had a good time. I mean, like, creatively, it was really exciting. But they told me, you know, it's really interesting how you're kind of at the mercy of different festivals, ticketing systems, and the level of audience interaction that they'll let you do. Mm. So we did a version of the show where there was no texting with the audience beforehand. There was no exchanging of information, no questionnaire beforehand. So people in the San Diego Fringe Festival just showed up to the show truly blind, really only knowing the show description. And then like, uh, we kind of onboarded them in a totally different way in that that festival. We are talking with uh, Lauren Ludwig of Capital W about Red Flags. Uh, that's the uh, in media race version, uh, medias race version yeah. of uh, the startup. Red Flags, for those who don't know, is it is a uh, single audience member at a time. Very uh, intense, immersive experience. Uh, one actor, one audience member, and intense emotionally. So, like, I think some true. people, I think some people have a, a an instinct of uh, intense means, oh, I'm going to get beaten with a fish. Yes, you know, not waterboarding intense. <laughs> um, <laughs> emotional waterboarding intense. Yeah, um, yeah. It basically uh, the idea is that you are going on a, a fictional first date with a character named named Emma that you met online, um, and when you get there, uh, you spend basically an hour to an hour and a half alone with the actor who plays Emma, and it's just the two of you. You and and in fact, in our Hollywood Fringe Festival premiere edition, you didn't ever see a box office person. You never saw anybody but Emma. You never interacted with anybody but Emma. So we tried to really, really, really erase the edges of the experience as much as we could. And then that, I, I almost find it hard to imagine the piece being any other way. Me too, yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the idea that San Diego had some restrictions on it, so... It was interesting. Yeah, we did have to have Monica meet people as a box office person just to make sure they knew they were in the right spot and just to, like, identify the right audience member. And then she basically was like, okay, uh, you're here for Red Flags? Well, um, Emma's running a few minutes late. She'll be here soon. Just wait. And then she would disappear, and then our, and our actor would arrive then after that about five minutes later. <laughs> but it was not... So, you know, I, I, I actually think of... A healthy dose of magic is gone when you have to do it that way, but 
Um, the audience members, at least as far as our actor could tell, seem to be still pretty engaged. So. Well, that's good. That's the good news. Yes. Yeah, that's because that's the interesting challenge. Is so interesting. Is what is what is an audience going to be ready for? What are they going to know? I mean, as we yeah. we see this work, there there are centers of this work. You know, L.A., yeah. New York, uh, San Francisco, yeah. London. Obviously, goes without saying. But there's there's something of the 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 deep one on one experimental that happens here in Los Angeles, and I think there's there's more people who are ready for it here. So taking it even just you know the two and a half hours south to uh, to San Diego is a, is a Totally different. Stretch. Yeah, totally and also, different world. it is. And also, like, it's such a, with all of our work, because we keep doing stuff for such small audiences, it, it's hard to get a real sample size going, right? It's like, mm. so they only did it nine times. Yeah. So you'd really have to kind of do a longer run there to see if it, it really truly was a cultural difference between that city and the city's way of interpreting it. Um, we're in the middle of talking to some people in New York about possibly bringing it out there this fall. So again, we would see what happens when you take it to another city. Yeah, It's also a fascinating challenge for the actor because part of the reason she feels comfortable doing so much improvisation in the show, because there is so much improvisation in the show, part of the reason she feels so comfortable is that she's based in Los Angeles and her, her character's history is in Los Angeles, which she herself knows. So she's got a really deep well to improvise there. If we move to New York City, a city that she's never lived in, she's got a whole new level of actor work to do to yeah. be ready to improvise at the level that the show requires. I mean, you can play the fish out of water card a little bit, but that puts... Yes, that, we did that, that with San Diego. We yeah. said she just moved there about six weeks ago. <laughs> so that I haven't... I need to get a more full debrief on if that actually played or if, if people pushed back or... Yeah. Because again, the goal is to have no edges to the character. You can ask her anything and she'll have an answer for you. Yeah. yeah she's got a whole backstory, memorized the whole thing, you know. Well, that's and but at the same time, one of the things that's really interesting about th- this particular piece and the way, the way you've developed your work is so much of it is scripted. Like there's an improvisational mm-hmm. core based off the backstory you've created, but there's yes. there's a lot of text. And I remember going on one of the rehearsals for this and you, you giving like you know, notes on lines and I was like there there are lines <laughs> like that was like there's like yeah you, you can't so, so you didn't get into the speech here with this that and this that happened and I was like oh what like it just was so organic seeming that's exciting and yet there's so much structure to it that's exciting to hear I mean that was really the goal we had done scenes in our previous pieces that use this kind of half scripted half improvised thing that we're starting to develop in more detail um but they were shorter scenes. It was like five minutes of that kind of improv or 20 minutes um, in Hamilton Beale and Anne the Drum. But then for this one, I was like, what if that was the whole piece? It's like, mm. it's truly audience improvisation to the point where they can't tell where the script ends and the improv begins. That's like the entire goal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it means that throughout the rehearsal process, there's like this part near the end where I'm becoming kind of like, a seismograph or something like picking up subtle vibrations of inauthenticity basically like where does it feel like she suddenly has gone on to a scripty moment well then we got to change it it's got to be written differently it's so interesting you say that because like having gone through Hamlet Mobile um not not fully twice but having seen two versions of some of the the pieces and particularly um uh Gravedigger Hotbox yes. is the van yes which contains as part of it like a lengthy meditation on death yes um and going in and out of that lengthy meditation on death which is scripted um 
having gotten to experience that with both of the actors who've played the grave digger, mm-hmm. uh, the second time being Frank, your husband. Yes, full disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> Nepotism is alive and well at Capital W. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got to um, marry this to get in here. <laughs> That's our tagline, our official company <laughs> slogan. You gotta marry this. <laughs> you gotta marry this. <laughs> it's not, guys. No, no, imagine I'm because I'm, I'm seeing JB and Heather. They're and all Lizzie they're all married to like, me. They're all married to me. That's what the moving shadow really is. Yes. It's a pan poly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. You're, now, see, this is good. now we're joking now, and I know like two moving shadows from here. It's, it's going to turn out they're all it's married. It's going to be yeah. the marriage of Figaro, but yeah. everybody's Figaro, and everyone's getting married to each other. <laughs> exactly. I just gave you a moving yeah. shadow show. Yeah, spoiler, spoiler for <laughs> spoiler. future show. It's the twenty twenty, twenty twenty Hollywood fringe. Totally, uh, <laughs> totally. I love it. Gross. Thanks. <laughs> totally good. Yeah, no, it's it. a wedding at the three clubs, you know. <laughs> oh my God. I do. Like of course. Okay. okay. Anyway, I would love to stage a, a wedding, a giant wedding based uh, show. Well, this is the whole thing. Okay, to yeah. come slightly back to the show, this is the whole thing. It's like we keep if you use a paradigm that everybody's used to in their real lives, that's how you can trick people. You can trick the audience into saying what you what the what you think they're going to say next, mm. so they feel like they've said it, they made it up, but they're actually they've actually just said what we guessed they would say. And we've talked about this before, yeah. I think, on the show yes. with and the drum yes, and exactly. the dinner party. Yes, which is this, you named the two ones. It's like the dinner party and Anne the drum and the grave digger scene and. Hamilton Bill. Oh, no, I feel clever. I cut, you are clever, though. You <laughs> no, right. don't, don't. Oh, don't, my the, ego. No, Wait, so should I cut you off? What were you going to say about Gravedigger, though? I'm oh, well, yeah, like, so because because uh, the seismograph thing, I think, is, yes. is really apt because uh, in that one, and it's, and it's, it's the earliest one, Yes, I, I could detect, like, Okay, now we he went we, back. We, he we, went we, back. We're, yes. back, we're back in the, the scripted part, and then it's like, oh, we're in this thing. We're having this conversation yep. now. It's almost and almost to the point of like, oh, sorry, I got I got to do this next bit. Totally, you know? yes, and, yeah. And it's and it's gone so far it has now. A, a, away yeah. from that, that's and like, and and that's totally true with the with and the drum where. The, the the dinner party was interesting because there were parts that clearly needed to happen, but yeah. like the interaction of the audience was yeah. was completely unplannable, and yet so interesting. Well, it's so interesting. Yeah, so it's there's two factors involved. One is the actor you cast, and two is just my own writing ability getting better and better. Mm. So it's like you know, Hunter is a really gifted improviser, but I was not good enough yet at writing the kind of half script, half improvisation thing. I really wrote a monologue and then actually through people like you and other really proactive audience members going through it, I was like, oh, people want to talk during this. I mean, that was my first immersive show. I had no idea how to expect the audience to interact. In fact, I would argue Hamilton Beale particularly the first installment really didn't ask for a lot of interaction. Mm. There was a variety, but it wasn't like even the second time around where the Gravedigger one, we, we added more questions for him to ask you. That I noticed. Yes, yeah. and we were like, he, we, I want it to become a conversation about death, not a one-sided monologue. And what basically like in that one, it's just trading on the idea that like human nature is when you're asked a question, you're going to answer. Mm-hmm. And, and at least half the time after that, you'll probably ask that question back to the person because you're not a jerk. And you're kind of interested, right? So, Although I'm sure you learn a lot about a lot of people that way. So interesting. Well, the most depressing <laughs> thing you learn is that most, we've all really been trained by these social scripts. And so the most depressing thing is like, your instinct's not that unique. You think it is and it's not. Like, when we go on first dates, we know we're supposed to ask and deal with, that's particularly scripted, right? The first mm. date experience in real life. I'm like, so bad at it, so. Oh. I, yeah. I, I, yes. I, 
I used to just make out with my friends, so that's how I avoided dating. So, I, <laughs> so another true, another great personal confession for me. Um, this particular oh, you, oh, you should you should have heard last <laughs> week's episode of this show with me. It's not good. Um, oh, I gotta go back and listen. Uh, <laughs> Don't. I should have though. I didn't do my homework. Um, <laughs> cut off about about thirty five minutes and then just cut it off. So. <laughs> yeah, you know it's like. Uh, you 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 know you're supposed to think like oh hey so great to see you oh you look so good oh uh so so remind me where do you live in town what's yeah. your job like those questions my parents are dead no wait whoa whoa exactly, whoa exactly. my overshare overshare yeah, overshare yeah exactly you know? yeah and it's like everybody but not everybody I mean that's the cool thing about the piece I mean there are definitely audience members who come in and refuse to to deal with that script they'll just they'll they'll really go somewhere else somewhere different mm. um do they but so let me, yeah. Well, let me let me, uh, let me dwell on that for a second. Please, I mean, because uh, I always, I'm always fascinated by people who come in with an agenda to this stuff. Because sure, agency is, is one of, agency is is one of the tools in the toolbox, right? But, you know, I had one person one time tell me, you know, that they they hated then she fell because the actors weren't responding to the offers they were giving, and then they yeah, then I they told me that. what they were doing, yeah. and I was like. But why were you? Why are you, are you doing, doing that? that? That's a weird thing to do. So interesting. Um, they were like writing, you know, instead of writing the dictation, they were just writing obscene things and then like proudly showing it off and being oh. like, you know, you want to react. And and I was That's like, odd. why? Why go that route when you don't know what it is they're they're offering? It's That's like exactly you know, right. I know. What's and the dance? I don't understand that impulse. Either. I mean, this kind of cuts immediately to the heart of, like, why do each of us go see theater? I mean, mm. really, I mean, in the most general sense, and then more specifically, why do each of us respond to immersive work? I like making tons of eye contact with actors. I love being touched. I love being talked directly to. I would do an immersive show where I was asked to do nothing except sit in a chair and just having someone act at me. I would love that because <laughs> I just want to like watch whisper videos. Like I just want like I want my immersive show oh, to feel want, like a whisper video. Oh, then you want to then you want to go to Whisper Lodge if oh. uh, you know Whisper Lodge. I don't know Whisper Lodge. Whisper Lodge, it's in New York. So oh when you're God. oh great, I'm going in the end of August. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Well, you oh, know, no, please let it extend. Well, it well it, it pops up now again, but like we'll we'll connect you. Andrew Hefner is a guy, that. and and oh my god, I can't remember his partner's name on on this particular piece. Uh, but they've been doing Whisper Lodge a few times now. They actually have been up in the Atlantic of all things, which is amazing because oh, they did a thing on. Yeah, they did a piece. They did. They were part of like one of the Governor's Island. So like, cool. Program. Oh, so cool. And. Um, it's 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 a live action ASMR video. Oh my god, I want to do that. I don't have the thing, the the, the tingly head thing that people get. I right. just love it and find it so soothing. Yeah, um, it makes me feel like when the librarian would like read to us in kindergarten, you know. Mm. And so like I'm perfectly happy with just great eye contact and like somebody being like gentle and close to me, and that's fine. Like for but for other people, and I really respect this. Like that's not enough interactivity. Right, they and need to be hit with a fish. They want to be hit with a fish, or they want to be able to hit the actor back with a fish. Like, and I get both of those things. <laughs> I do. It's just a different interest. It's a different thing to want from your theater. So, I feel like I actually, particularly with this piece, like I made a show where I'm not sure if I would like this show if I saw it. Like mm. I would at least be engaged and interested and and have thoughts and feelings on it. But it wouldn't even necessarily be my ideal immersive experience there's been so many reactions and you guys are still They're running happening. so i don't yeah. want to i don't want to spoil yes but like, we just extended it goes it it goes to certain kind of so emotionally dark places and yeah you've, you've seen what have what have been some of the more interesting outlier reactions 
biggest <laughs> actually the, the person who had one of the strongest reactions was my producer monica who's been on this uh podcast before she the first time i did a run through of the show for her this is definitely the darkest piece subject matter wise that capital w's done and probably actually the darkest piece i've ever written as a writer because I was in a really dark place when I wrote it. I mm. was not feeling great, and I wanted to explore. Because there's like the difference between form and content, right? Form, we've had for a long time this idea of, oh, what if you did a, a first date? But then as soon as you start to work on it, you're like, well, what's in it? I mean, what is the piece about? That's not enough. Right. That's boring. Because um, we're not just making it for people who want to just try new immersive formats, even though that is one of the reasons we're making it, that you know we need the inside. So we started getting into it, and I was just in a really... Uh, a really interesting transitional year this spring and a lot of projects I'd worked on for a long time were kind of dying and like I was just in a period of feeling deep fear and uh, a moment's despair about uh, what it is to kind of like go down the road of life and to keep getting out of bed every morning and try to be hopeful every day like that's mm. really hard and I was like what yeah. if I made a show just about that <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> I know and guys that's what it's about yeah <laughs> And, you know, I think, like, for somebody who's perpetually going on first dates, that is that is a version of that, right? It's like getting hopeful every time. Yeah. How, how do you be present in that every time? I mean, it's oh. such an outlay of energy. Um, but it's a great, tiny version of what we all do every day in life, I really think. Um, so it was a really depressing subject matter to start. And then I came up with a really dark ending on top of that. And so the first time we did it, for Monica, our producer, she got so mad at me. <laughs> she kind of like left the fake date. Oh, wow. She like left. She walked out. She walked out angry. <laughs> um, yeah, she walked out angry. And we've had some other people get that mad but not leave exactly, but mm. be like really mad. Um, but But then there's a whole group of people, and this is probably the majority of the people who see the show, whose response is to actually, I think, feel a kind of sad empathy for the main character. Mm. To feel bad that she's going through what she's gone through and almost take on a friend or therapist role. Yeah. Which, again, is the whole idea is that the date is a bad date, right? So it's right. not sexy to end up on a date and become a person's therapist. <laughs> so that's... <absurd>. Hopefully <laughs> someone doesn't think that's sexy or they, I know, right? or they exactly. need therapy. So. Well, I just think it's yeah. so... Okay, this is my one thing I'll say. It's like, uh, about that ending, too, is that how you react to it, I find most people are shocked to learn that anybody else reacted very differently. Like, it seems yeah. always very natural to them how it ended and, like, how they responded to it. And then, like, Monica was floored that not a lot of other people were angry enough to leave. Um, mm. but, a bit, but she's also, you know, curious and interested in theater and, and all these things. So, of course, she was excited about that, too. So it's just, like, um, it's just an interesting mirror show. Yeah. It definitely shows you who you are in a cool way, I hope. There's a Rorschach test. I'm hope There's a Rorschach test, Ellen. Yeah. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. What have you felt like you've learned about this form and this process during this one? Because, I mean, yeah. it's the longest sustained one-on-one yes. -on -one piece I might be aware of, actually. Oh, my gosh. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, people think I have an encyclopedic knowledge of this no. stuff. and I, I it's, Someone's going to write it and the, tell you a longer one right yeah, now. <laughs> there's, there's, that's an, mostly an illusion. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of shows that do, like, We'll put one person through for an hour or even for like an hour and a half. Yes. But the idea of the being there with just one other person for that entire time. Yes. That being this this small relationship forms over the course of it. Yeah, I'm so interested in that. 
what what do you what sort of lessons do you feel like you're pulling into the work going forward? Have you started that analysis process yet? We have, yeah. I um, this was the first show where I finally felt like I had the right amount of rehearsal time. Mm. I felt like every other show I've done has been under rehearsed by one and a half weeks. Um, with the, with um, Hamlet Mobile is because Shakespeare's language is harder, so mm. you just need another week of rehearsal more than I thought I did. And then within the drum, it was because there was it was a multi-track show, mm. so I just hadn't had to rehearse that before. And there were some pieces and pods that I got to spend less TLC. Um, with and they needed more and so this was the first show with one person where I'll just say like with one person there's something nice and simple about it you've ridden the whole experience the whole time a bunch of times and I think like I felt really confident putting this out in the world in terms of like well this has all been really carefully curated and I really like Mm. that about this form Um, well I guess my point in saying that in a larger way is there's power in simplicity it doesn't have to be a five story hotel in New York it doesn't have to be even like the whole house in Koreatown like we did within the drum there actually can be real power in the fact that it's just that one single person on the streets of Los Angeles so I got excited about leaning into the simplicity um Mm. I felt like uh the I found felt like we hit a good line between scripted and improvised but after getting to this I feel like I want to go even maybe farther with the improvised Mm. I'm wondering what's the least script I can have and still feel like the show has a curation to it and you didn't just randomly hang out with an actor like that's why I want to like take it even lower like I want to I want to see if we can go even farther on the improv path I can tell I'm really excited about that so I'll probably do more of that Um, but but I imagine improv with with the characters being really well formed, right? That's because so there important. Because there is that, yes. there's that testing instinct to like, kind of like, oh, totally. is, you know, how how good do you have this? Do you got it? Can I yes. ask? Can I throw anything at you? Yes. You're going to have an answer. Is well, it going to be consistent? And yes. people probably going outside of the show and comparing notes and saying like, well, I I asked her this, and what I did got she this, say? and I got yeah. this. What did you say? Yeah, you yeah. know, that's the thing. It's like I think I do think that this is script enough and guide you enough that like. I don't know that if people compared notes, they'd have wildly divergent experiences, which is why why I want to go even farther down the improv path. Um, in terms of what you said about the actor being able to do that, you know, Lauren Flance, who's Emma in Red Flags, she was the first, I want to say, like, insanely trained improv actor I've ever used for this work. Mm. I tend to use actors who come from theater but have some improv training, and we do more improv training in the rehearsals. She she definitely comes from theater as well, but spent years and years and years as a comedy improviser, just years and years. And so we in our rehearsals did more theater emotional work mm. um, to fill in Emma's insides, because, and I spent less time with improv stuff because she can just improv so easily, so quickly, so intelligently. Um she has to make up stuff every night. I mean, every night people are asking just random little things that yeah. she can't possibly know. Um, and then sometimes afterwards, for the first few weeks particularly, she would like text me or email me later and be like, I made up this fact. Does this seem true about Emma? And then we'd confer as writer, actor in those moments of like, does that fit into her backstory or not? Mm. And sometimes we'd make adjustments. Um, we also gave her kind of cool rules that I'm really proud of. This is a total spoiler, I'll just warn. But like, for example... On the fake date, if you make any pop culture reference, like to any particular movie, TV show, or song, Emma will always not know it, because we was like, we were like, that's the best sign of a bad date that you have no shared cultural references. <laughs> so it's like fun to come up with parameters rather than scripts beats yeah. necessarily. 
So that's another interesting thing we played with. It's almost like it's almost like uh, rules in a computer program, you know. That's right. It's like totally like that. What um, what's accessible? If this, then that. You know, yeah. these, this domain of knowledge is that's right. Verboten. Yeah, and you know, I feel like really fully formed character is probably like one of the few non-negotiables with something like this. It's not going to feel. I, I think I've seen immersive shows where like they're really well acted, but you can tell that the character is just there to exist in that one room and look in the mirror and like touch their face and say a monologue to you and disappear. That like if you pushed back, there wouldn't be a point almost. That's kind of all that person. That's all it's supposed to be, and that's all that's there. Mm. I feel like with this kind of longer form, there's not really a point to doing it with that kind of style of more physical sort of immersive. Um, performance or you know what I'm saying yeah. I, or more poetic I feel like this makes the most it makes sense to me that the person has to have three four or five dimensions to them to to make it even interesting to spend an hour with them alone. Yeah. It, it just kind of it, it, it invites a different kind of content I guess the form does yeah I don't think you could get away with with a, a movement based piece that had yeah, that kind really of weird. monastic uh, focus because probably not because well, someone should try, I guess, now that we set up. But probably <laughs> someone should, but there, there's something to, in that work of the, it's about the motion. It's about, yeah. it's about the, f- literally about the form. Yes, totally. Um, and it's, it's one way of communicating, yes. uh, which is a totally valid way of communicating. But like, if you're going to do this psychological work, yes. which is what this stuff really is, yeah. then you, you've got to, you've got to slow it down. It's not about the motion. It's about what's going on in the mind, and and neither neither yeah. one's more correct or more valid. Like that's actually one thing that's really excited about exciting about this form as a whole is that both both things are are, are valid ro- roads. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I think that um, I think that that's looking for extremes in the form is really exciting to me right now. I mean, again, this is not necessarily a financially sustainable model, this one actor at a time for an hour and a half. We are certainly looking to find the sort of like fair um, but sustainable ticket price that makes it possible to keep doing it. But, you know, it's like if you're going to play on those extremes of it, I think there's also this uh, you kind of for the short term at least probably have to put away the question of how would we ever tour this or make it more financially sustainable and so i think um as we look to what we're going to do with red flags in the future i think there are kind of questions about like well could you have multiple actors playing this part or does that read false because this character was created for her Mm. so do i need to create a whole other one hour experience with another character that you go on a date with you know um Lauren is suddenly you have like a fake date agency yes like six different (laughs) yeah exactly exactly well look Lauren is female identifying female bodied and she uh is playing a bi or pansexual character she doesn't really self-label but she whether um anybody on the gender spectrum that shows up she's sexually attracted to that's the that's the sort of rule of the piece um but she's noticed difference in the gender in the, how different genders treat her she's mm. noticed differences in terms of um people who walk into the show and how they interact with her and the sort of like what it means to be on a date with like a traditional male body and presence versus a female body and presence um um, versus a trans uh, person who shows up for the show, uh, which has happened. So, you know, there's a real range of interesting things. And so then if you change out the actor to be uh, somewhere else on the gender spectrum um, or the body uh, spectrum, you have this 
interesting new thing that comes in because in some ways she's the safest choice you know what i mean Mm. like it's i would say culturally going with a woman um who sort of fits our traditional idea of a woman but is a little sexually ambiguous like that's the safe that's a safe cultural spot to live in does this piece feel different if we have a different kind of actor i think it it does also she's white that's also a sort of obviously in many ways culturally default or safe place to live what does this piece change depending on the race of the performer i'm sure it would so i think if we're going to keep expanding red flags i'm also interested in exploring those things and what's different stories maybe come out of that different stories for certain and i think and then it does start to get really interesting is like gosh i mean like at the same time though how interesting could it be to take the same frame of the story put it in a different actor's hands so some of the details change change out but the big story beats remain the same and how radically different it reads yes right yeah even if you did yeah change nothing basically yeah besides a few tiny details yeah yeah like that's right suddenly suddenly it becomes it becomes even more of a Rorschach test. Yes, you know? totally. That's very true too. That's very interesting too. Yeah. So, so where do all these mad scientist ideas uh, start percolating? I mean, like this this one came out of a dark period, but <laughs> um, you know, we're 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 coming up on this little workshop where we're yeah. we're doing in a week and a half. In a week and a half. And we're, and we're we're fully committed to it. It is happening. Yes, Hella it's one hundred percent happening, guys. Um, so and we're not, that's, that, that sounds weird. Like we're, we were just like talking about like some stuff. It's like no, no, we're we're gonna do it one way or another. Um, what what? Uh, well, yeah. Let's in terms of maybe in terms of the workshop. Like what what things would people find in there? Um, in terms of the the development process. Um, that went into went into this piece or goes into any of the other work. Yeah, well, the stuff we're going to work on in the workshop is based in the teachings of Sanford Meisner and his uh, sort of repetition exercises um, that if you've ever studied his acting technique, you've done a version of. Um, we do versions of those, um, but sort of modified for the immersive theater space in every single rehearsal process we do in Capital W. And sometimes we just use the work as a training tool to kind of loosen up the actors, get them listening to each other, but most importantly, even to the audience. Mm. Um, His work has been like invaluable in training the actors to be more responsive to improvisation and emotional input, honestly. Like, Mm. I feel like every actor I've ever had in a capital W show, if I froze the action, froze the audience member, and I turned to that actor and said, what is the audience member feeling right now? They would always know. How Mm. much attention are they paying to you? Are they bored or engaged? Like, they always know. Um, And that's part of what that training makes you amazing at, which is just invaluable. But the other thing we'll use that training sometimes to do is actually to create narrative and written content, actually create scenes. Um, So you can also take his exercises and move them towards improvisation and creating kind of discovering authentic relationships. Like, particularly for shows where we started with, like, an ensemble that where people weren't necessarily in particular relationship to each other. So for Hamletmobile, when we cast the cap, the sort of moving shadow company, we knew which Hamlet character they were all playing, but we didn't know who they were to each other backstage mm. at all. So which is, like, I'd say more than, more than half the show. It's a huge really layer. The, the internecine stuff in the company. Yeah, the backstage dynamics. So... The way that we came up with those backstage dynamics is when you get the ensemble on their feet and you're doing these um, exercises I'm talking about, you start to 
you can't deny the authentic sort of core relationship between two different performers. So you might look at two people on stage and just say, there's just no world in which they're siblings. But they could be friends who've had sex or they could be lovers. Um, but they, yeah, but I never buy, I will never buy them as family. There's always going to be sex in the room between them. Mm-hmm. And these exercises and these, where this, they basically like create a space where you can see that stuff as the director or as the actor, you can see that stuff more clearly yourself. And thus, when we move towards different relationships in the narrative, they're based on very authentic, true things between the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that those things are true in real life at all. Right. It's just feels true on stage, basically. Yeah. Quote, unquote, on stage. I mean, I mean, that's that's always been the most fascinating thing to me about acting as a form is mm. like this, you know, you 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 strip away the role that the person plays in their real life and you put them in another role. But there's this period of time when the the day to day persona stripped away and the actual roles isn't there yet. And that's where this kind of protoplasmic protein thing happens. And you start to know, you start to know a lot more about the sort of essential parts of that person qua person. Yes. I mean, we, I really have not, there hasn't been one capital W show where we haven't built up the characters from scratch. Um, to some extent, and in every case, what's what we've ended up at, with at the end of the day is absolutely a mix of true things in the people, but character as well, and it's like a Venn diagram between them. Yeah, I mean, it's like, but and that's almost seems yeah. like that feels like what acting. I mean, should it, yeah, it should is. be yeah. right. Exactly. We're just it, we're just describing theater now. Yeah, right. exactly. But one more, I mean, when you're theater, right. it's funny. Yeah. Like I, I saw Baby Driver over the weekend, yeah. oh, and. I'm and I mean, some people are like, are like, whoa, whoa, loving it. And I think it's, I think it's solidly yeah. made. Like I didn't lose my mind over it. Yeah. it. With the little bit of the exception of, I thought it was so impeccably cast. Oh, but he's great at that. In that way of what we're just talking about, yes. in that the script is the script is good, but the script is just light enough that like each of the cast members is bringing mm. a huge amount and it's like yes. these things wouldn't work in anyone else's mouths right. right you know and you get a little bit That's of revelatory cool. you learn a lot more about certain actors than 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 you Her knew John before John Ham is particularly yeah. revelatory yeah John John Ham John Ham shows some range and and that awesome. cat that cat already has like a massive amount so yeah. like, you just keep on finding he's like Oh, even and he can more, do that. Oh, yeah. like I hate he you even like more that, now. And yeah, he can do that, and he can yeah. do this thing, and the other yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like go to hell, John Ham. Yeah, hell, John Ham. Uh, yeah. Next time I see you in my cafe, I'm gonna say go to hell, John Ham. I wish you go could back name to St. Louis. Episode. Go, go to, to hell, hell, John, John Ham. Yeah, exactly. Could be. Could Just be. Consider it. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know how many clicks we'll get if we call it go to hell, John Ham. You're right. Just Probably should do a lot. Yeah, it's clickbait headline. So, um. <laughs> yes and then maybe he'll find it and like go oh what's this is it about and me and he'll be in my next capital W show <laughs> oh we've got a plan here oh, and we'd have to call that show go to hell John Hamm it's just called sit with John Hamm for five minutes and then it's just and it's forty dollars it's forty dollars forty dollars sit with John Hamm I think he might do that I once saw him <laughs> at a cafe uh, it was the cutest thing ever because there was like hmm. there was a like a, a middle aged woman and her teenage son 
and the middle-aged woman just like had this look on her face like oh my god like like that's that like it's it's what you would have expected someone at comic-con if like superman or thor had come down and it was the real one and not some dude just dressed up yes and and he he stopped and took the selfie with her you know and i was like what what a saint what a sweetie what a what a guy from st louis i love it um So acting anyway, acting. Yeah. <laughs> but so but, and and or or like in that piece, like you know Jamie Fox, like just like made that role. Each actor made the role, yeah, and the roles made too. the movie. Yeah, that's you really know? interesting. Um, and and that's something. I mean, you find that I think more I mean, like in someone who's comedy based. I think a little bit, sure. and that like you know, yeah. comedic actors really drive. You That's know, true. Pieces very they tend way. to bring the material towards them, yeah. In a way, as opposed to going toward to the material, yeah. Though I do think, I mean, I think your goal. I mean, my the way I see one of the things I think directing is is basically your goal is to clean the window between the actor and the audience, right? Mm. Like my goal is to make you see them as vividly and clearly and just like um, alive as possible. Like they need to pop in a way that you don't normally see them in real life. And maybe you've never seen them before in performance. I mean, my goal always, and this is lofty, and I'm sure I definitely do not always achieve this, but my goal is to always be like, when you see a capital W show, is to be like, or honestly, in my film work too, like, oh, I've never seen that actor be that good before. That would be my hope, is that like mm. we pulled enough way enough layers that they were like the most alive, the most forward version of self. Um, I'm sure that's basically every director's goal, but I do think like... I don't know if it's every director's well, goal. Yeah, maybe not. You're right. Because I, uh, and, and, and weirdly enough, going there, but thinking of a positive story, I remember in college, one of the professors who would, you know, the professors would direct us, right? And yeah. and it was one, oh, I didn't necessarily get along with all that well, but there was a moment during rehearsal where he, he turned to me and said, you you want to do something like you you want to you, you're you're holding back right yeah, now you're you, on a physical impulse you know you like well, yeah why don't you you follow that one follow that one yeah and the, the whole of the process didn't really work with for me as it, was, it wasn't the, the the right fit at the end of the day but that moment has long stood out to me as like a definition of what the director's job is I totally agree yes yeah like in service to yes. the actors it's like i'm watching yes. you uh, exactly. to see what you're to see how you're holding yourself back exactly because you're holding because everyone's holding themselves back all the time totally you know it's almost like uh the, the other metaphor that just dropped in my head was this amazing massage i got last month <laughs> <laughs> Okay, shout out to my friend in Canada who gave me this massage, who, if she was here, I'd say, I'd like plug her, but she's up in like literally Canada. But she gave me a massage that I've never had before where it didn't feel like she was wrenching me, wrenching out the tension. She was, she was bringing me back into alignment. Hmm. And it made me think about, you know, we have these things that like this crick in my neck that kind of pulls things to the left or like. I'm stooping over with my posture a little bit, whatever. Like the actor has all that stuff. Your goal as the director is to gently move those blocks out of the way so that mm. they are back in that perfect, balanced, open space. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, sometimes physically. I mean, with all of my groups, we're always doing tons of crazy physical warm ups, which like everybody does in theater school and then stops doing when they become adult actors. But all that physical stuff is so great. Well, think, and, and that's like that's like ninety percent of the fun. So fun. Ninety yeah. percent of the fun of, of theater school is is doing all the crazy physical the crazy warm-ups. physical stuff. I'm sure some of the companies that we see the work of in town definitely do that because some of these immersive pieces are so physical. Oh yeah. Um, but I think or like a group like Theater Movement Bazaar. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Yeah. But uh, but you know, if you're just an individual actor, like 
hanging around in your house and going to auditions here or there, I think you can get a little disconnected from that. And it's so nice to, like, yeah. that's the, the core of it for sure. Well, it also reminds me of, you know, hearing about auditions for, you know, Sleep No More or Then She Fell. Oh, and, yeah, you know, those are, those are dance-driven companies. Yes. So the audition process there is not come give me your monologue. Yes. You know, it's like, all right, we're going to work you. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna work you and see what you're capable of. And and that just seems to me like a bit of a no brainer in this form, right? Because, you know, monologues monologues, you know, tell you a lot about what whether an actor can handle language and whether or not they can get you, you know, through ideas. Yes. But there's a level of physical presence and embodiment totally. that's so required for true immersive and and we're at this we're in this interesting space in that so many people are are playing within the full broad spectrum and there's a lot of site-specific work that is is compelling or that's leaning a little more into processional um but the people who are working really physically they're the stuff that i keep coming back to and and they're the stuff i feel that even people who are maybe like deeply into you know, some of like the the alternate reality experience stuff. And there's there's some people I think who like are identifying immersive with that almost like explicitly. It's like, you know, like, oh, I just need an immersive experience that doesn't involve puzzle solving. And I'm like, uh, most of them don't. It's like, yeah, there's, this, yeah. there's, there's been this explosion <laughs> in the past like right. nine months here right, of like, right. you know, everything's got to have a puzzle. And it's like, um, it hasn't always been that way, and there's like yeah, plenty of like. Yeah, that'll go away. That's a bad, probably. Yeah. Well, I, I think or it's going to become its natural. It'll go to its corner. It's going to yeah. Right? It's, it's going like, to go yeah. its corner of the thing, right? You know, it's 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 had there's it's a had a blow. There's a way bigger bouquet, and and stuff that's been like sustained for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I just uh, there's yeah there's this whole layer of the work where oh, God, I'm so the, the, in the, this. the the embodiedness like which content fits the immersive format it's like on one level i think literally anything any genre of work should be able to have an immersive version of it if we want it um but then on the other hand i kind of agree with you that there you but the very least you need a different kind of actor i'll say that yes that's like a very least you know if we're doing like murder mystery traditional murder mystery like that just happens to be all around us in this house like it's the actor has to be able to walk and move and touch people and have just like physical spatial awareness at a different level yeah then so okay so it's like at least that but that said like i do still think we end up sometimes at least in the few years i've been following this work there do seem to sometimes be like genre ruts like they get people get stuck in a little bit like Mm. everything is a dance thing like you're saying and then everything is a puzzle thing for a while um and i'm excited for people to just keep doing trying weirder crazier just more unexpected stuff in the form Oh, the first time I, I saw, you know, the that. Day Shall Declared or the first time I saw the yeah. Speakeasy Society's work. Totally. And uh, particularly, and, and, and interestingly enough, not the first time, so like Stronger was, was one thing. And then when I saw Ebenezer and between Ebenezer and the Day Shall Declared going like, oh, you really can bring a lot of language in yes, this space. Totally. And, and, and that was after, you know, being really initiated into... Then she fell and right. sleep no more, which you know are right. are not very language heavy, like at no. all. I mean, like sleep no more being barely like oh yeah a, a line here or there. I once didn't hear anybody talk the whole time. Oh like, wow, but yeah, that's which is possible. Never, yeah, it's yeah. totally possible. Which yeah. is completely possible to do. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that you can pursue the language, and yeah. the language can either be like 
dramatic language or it can be poetic language yeah. or what you did with Anne the drum where it was like heavy on the poetry yes. and then moving occasionally into this conversational, conversational stuff. stuff well that's my favorite um thing personally is and i actually think immersive work really can hold this is i like stuff that's constantly changing genres i like that in film i like mm. that in my filmmaking i think that like and tones i think that like american filmmaking is so obsessed with the tone being consistent the whole time why like, why is that a positive? Why does that mean you've done anything right? I think it's kind of boring. I'm like, and I feel, the same, I feel the same with my theater. Yeah. I like the tone and the genre to switch a ton. And that's actually, I mean, it's just like. And it feels more epic. It's like, so like, epic. Like we used to talk. Yeah. And, and so I, interesting. It also feels like what my inner experience is. Yeah. Right? Or now I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, of course I'm thinking about Star Wars, but I'm thinking about the difference between like the way they make a Star Wars movie or, or try and make an action movie now and like consistent tone. And then you, you yeah. go and you look at like the, say the original trilogy or you look at an Indiana Jones film, you look at something totally. in the 80s even, just as far back as the 80s. Totally. And it's like, there's comic relief. So there's some yes. scenes that are really funny and then we're going to hit it with like something tense and dramatic. Yeah. And it's like, and it's kind of all over the place. And, and in being all over the place, it's symphonic. Ugh, and you come yes. out having felt yes. like you really got a little bit of everything and, and in that every little bit of everything, you got a lot as a whole. As yes. opposed to just like, I'm going to try and make you laugh or I'm going to try to make you be sad for 90 minutes straight or two it's hours. It's all the way there. That's what Shakespeare is like. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Absolutely. Totally. Or, um, there's, um, you know, a lot of the, my favorite Asian cinema is is much more fluid with tone. Yeah. Um, did you ever see the movie Love Exposure? No. Oh, my gosh. It's a four-hour movie. What? I believe it is a Japanese film. I might be misremembering, um, but I'm almost positive. It came out a few years ago now. Um, and it's this four-hour, like, technically, I guess you could call it a coming-of-age movie, but it goes through so many almost movies within the movie. Hmm. By the end of it, you're just like, I feel like I might never need to see another movie because this just close the book on movies love exposure love exposure love exposure it's so it takes an hour for the opening title to come up <laughs> that's all i'll say about it i honestly don't want to say anything else it's don't. so good uh i love it i love it so how much. hard is it to, how hard is it to hunt down not very hard okay at least it wasn't a few years ago okay maybe five years ago uh it was like the hugest hit ever in the country when it first came out it was like broke all these box office records it's really great it's like um, their version of Titanic, basically, I guess. Yeah, like it's a so, four it's hours so long. Bonkers. And it took, I had to do it in two sittings. I couldn't even do it in one sitting, but I was still totally all in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, but I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's Our just, television shows are that way more, too. I agree. I was like, just thinking about Breaking Bad. Or Orange yeah. is the New Black. Like, yeah. that, that, those shows shift tone a lot more. Yes, or like Broad City. Like in the comedy space, that's mm. actually much more welcome. In fact, I would actually argue in the comedy space, sometimes it's expected. The sketch comedy and like things like... Yeah. Obviously, those are not narrative. I think people like... There's this weird belief that the audience will like leave or like stop buying it. But like... I guess if the tone shifts or something, like but, you're not immersed, but of course. But that's so weird to me so because, weird. like in life, I mean, also, honestly, if 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 you're having just a one tone kind of experience yeah. in life for a long period of time, yeah. you're either in a depressive phase or you're deep <laughs> yeah. in a mania. You know, like it's, it's a sign that it's something's true. deeply wrong. <laughs> that's true. That's you true. should have different tones yes, going on. You really should. Uh, yeah, life is made of various genres and tones. It definitely is, um, and thus, I don't know, my favorite art is as well. We had one of those conversations. We did it good. again. We did it again. Which we is got good. heady as hell. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Put, I'm gonna put the the button down on on this. Fair um, but give us all the breakdown. So red flags is 
extended but sold out in LA. Right it's extended now. but sold out in LA. We're thinking about adding a few more uh, performances in late August and possibly even September. We're going to try to keep opening up dates for as long as our actress is available and as long as tickets are selling. So if you want to hear about those, go to capitalwperformance.com and sign up for our mailing list. And the people on our mailing list are always going to hear about the new shows first. So that's kind of our, our new thing. Um, and yeah, and actually this Saturday, uh, Monica and I have a huge uh, Capital W mini retreat nice. where we're going to plan our uh, 2018 season and also talk about some, um, there's a couple of festivals we might be trying to take some of our pieces to this fall. So That'll be fantastic. Yeah, it should be great. Yeah. We're excited. And then of course on the 16th, we've got our, our workshop. And Which will be it, so fun. Yeah, everyone has come. You're going to, great treat. And there's there's still spaces open. So by the, time you're, by the time you're hearing this. Check it out, and it's it's a hundred bucks, but it's basically all day. Like yeah. it's a seven hour thing. There'll be like a lunch break, but yeah. like it's it's a uh, it's gonna be pretty uh, pretty intense. Yes, uh, it will pack- be. It'll we're be packing fun. in a lot. It'll be really fun. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to do it. Yeah, this is gonna be a blast. So. It is. All right, Lauren. Thanks for stopping by. Of course. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Lauren Ludwig for being our guest on the show today. You can indeed find all the links to everything they do at capitalwperformance.com. Um, we've reached, uh, we reached the end of the show. We reached the part that, uh, that I usually go on a little rant. And, um, um, uh, you know, actually here, here, I do have something. I have something short, short and sweet for you this week. Um, we've got a few things going up on the website uh, right now, uh, I might drop one of them um, before today or when I do this, or maybe I'll drop it early next week. Um, but the one that's up there right now, which I think you should check out, is I did a review of, uh, and I hope I don't butcher this, uh, Carne y Arena, which is um, uh, Inuratu's new uh, VR piece. It, it debuted at Con. It is now at um, LACMA, which is the Los Angeles, uh, County Museum of Art. And, um, I'll let the piece do most of the work. And I, I broke it up. So like, there's a, there's sort of a, a, a spoiler warning about four or five paragraphs into the review. Um, it's, it moves the ball forward on what VR installations can be, uh, in a pretty serious way. Um, it, it sort of advances some stuff that I got to see when we did that ILM XLab episode and the XLab indeed worked on this. Um, and then artistically it also moves it forward and, and it has a clear generative point in that the work of Nani de la Pena, um, who, whose work has been just the linchpin of this entire VR revival, um, the the technology she was using in her lab and at Sundance uh, back in 2012, um, that that's the foundation stone of all of the commercial stuff we're seeing right now. And even though VR, you know, the the conventional wisdom, the narrative right now is that like, oh, VR is failing, you know, VR is not going to happen, Blah, consumer VR is dead, like all this naysaying. Um, mostly because people don't understand the timescale that we're working at here and they want a new iPhone. Um, artistically, things are pressing forward. And that is fantastic. Um, from a, just a, a, a connoisseur of the arts point of view, um, 
but also just the value that can be created, the emotional value, the political value even of what can be created uh, with a piece of VR. It's really on display here. Um, it, this piece just sort of spiritually culminates uh, a lot of the work Nani was doing, um, even though there isn't, I don't think, a direct connection there, although I may be, I could be wrong. Um, and the piece is about, uh, it's about the border crossing. It's about um, basically a, a group of migrants who are, are, are stopped at the border. And it just, it's just that scene. Um, but it's it's way more than that scene. It's way more in what the the VR piece of it does and it's way more in what the installation around the VR does. So it's going to be at LACMA um if the if the waiver form is any indicator. The plan is for it to be there for a year. It's not going anywhere, but tickets are hard to come by. Uh they're already sold out through the middle of September. They intend to release another pack of tickets there's also, as I've been informed, you can show up on the day of and hope that there are tickets. Um, that can be an expensive proposition, particularly if you park at LACMA, because LACMA parking is $16 flat rate, no matter, you know, before seven o'clock in the evening. Um, so uh, maybe find an alternate form of transportation if you want to like pop in and see, is today the day? Is today the day? And it's a, a $30... Um, 25 bucks, 25 or $30. I can't remember right now exactly uh, above the price of admission. Um, it's, it's uh, 20. Yeah. It's $25 if you are a member. And I think it's $30 if you're not a member and um, admission to the museum is 15 bucks. Now the museum's great. And if you haven't been to LACMA, Oh, get down to LACMA. Um, and there's, there's a, a couple of really cool, um, things on display right now, both in terms of the permanent and in uh, the sort of the transitory, but, um, it, it, you can definitely spend a day or at least the better part of a day there. So you're, you're going to get your money's worth. Um, and even though Carne Yurina is only, I want to say like did 10, 12 minutes all total. And you're like, Oh, that's a lot of money for like, it's like $2 a minute. Like, I know we have that conversation all the time, but, um, Value is a factor of how much work gets put into something um, is a big part of it. Quality over quantity. And this is some quality right here. Um, I think even if you're someone who's done a lot of VR, there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be felt in this piece. And if this is your first time down the VR rabbit hole, which is true for a lot of people, Oh man, um, I'm sort of sorry because you're going to be disappointed in the other things you see. Um, we'll have more on the VR front. There's a couple of things out there in the world right now I want to go check out. Um, so we'll come back to this point soon. But um, yeah, uh, the the review, it's there. It's good. Spread it around. Let people know. Um, and, and that's that's a big thing too. Um, so you, you listen to this show. You like this show. You've thought about being a Patreon backer, but you're, you know, like funds are tight. I understand. Um I wouldn't have a Patreon page up if my funds weren't tight. Um, what can you do to help out? Um, tell people about the show. Tell people about the show. Uh, go on nopersinium.com, Share the articles. Uh, like, retweet, share, all that stuff. It, it seems ridiculous, and I feel lame talking about it at all, but uh, that stuff really helps. It honestly really helps. 
um, let people know about everything immersive, like, and share the stuff out of everything immersive that helps too. like and share our stuff out of everything immersive. That really helps. The algorithms are no one's friends. They just, they just aren't. Um, I wish they were, but, but they aren't, we're in a constant battle against the algorithms. So, um, and of course, uh, we've got the workshop, we've got the workshop coming up. Um, I sound kind of strange in the episode because for a minute there, I'm all like, all like, yeah, we're definitely doing it. Cause there was kind of a question. We, we had, we had set a, a reserve number where it was like, we have to sell X number of tickets in order to, to do it. And we have, we've made the decision. Uh, we, we modified that set price there. Um, which, which means that, you know, um, you know, uh, we may not make any money. Uh, I mean, Lauren's gonna, the, the venue's gonna make money and, and Lauren's gonna make money, but you know, the way things break out, I might not make any money off this one. Um, and indeed transparency, I was, you know, gonna make a little money off this one. Uh, so that may not happen. That's fine. The important thing is that we get this thing rocking and rolling. Should I be telling you these things? No, no. Do I tell you these things? Yes. Yes. Why? It's me. And you know me, I'm shockingly transparent, um, <laughs> more ways than one. And again, never talk to me about last episode. Never, ever, ever. Um, all right. Uh, the morning is coming to a close here in Los Angeles. Uh, you've got your day. I've got mine, um, wherever you are right now. Uh, let's do the credits. The music for this episode, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can, of course, thank Ross Sigworth for being the sustaining backer of No Prisinium. Go thank Ross. He's out there. Um, you can reach us at noprisinium.com. You can email us tips and hints to pitches at noprisinium.com. You can send us the questions for Simon or other things you find interesting to Noah at noprisinium.com. We're on Twitter at noprisinium. The Facebook group, of course, is Everything Immersive, which is easily reachable at everythingimmersive.com. We are on Instagram. We have that Slack community, which, you know, comes in handy now and again. You can email me to get involved in that. Um, yeah, that's like all the little bits and fiddly things that you need to know to make this thing work. So, um, there's a lot going on. Um, it's kind of a bye week for me, um, in that I, there's no, there's no, that's not entirely true. There is stuff going on this weekend. Wow, there's always stuff going on. Okay, well, then in that case, um, you know, we'll, we'll see you next week. And until then, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>